It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. What is going on, MD Nation? As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and I am bringing you, as promised, the full recap of Week 3 with the Waiver Wire segment in today's episode. So, of course, we have a ton of content that we have to get to that we wouldn't normally do all in one show. So, as a result, we're not going to go into as in-depth analysis for each matchup as I normally would in most of my recap shows, since this is going to be one long episode since I was not around Sunday night to be able to record the first edition that I usually put out on Monday. That's why you're listening to the show for the first time this week on Tuesday. But we'll be back to normal schedule next week. Don't worry, I just had to go away for a little bit and now we'll be back again. I'm excited to be here with you guys now and be going over this and I'm going to go through the highlight notes that you need to be able to know and take with you going into next week. And of course, we'll get in the waiver wire segment and immediately move on into week four. I hope everyone listening to the show has had a successful week three. Remember, even if you have not, even if you're one and two, even if you're 0 and three, you're not out of it yet. You can still make trades. You can still make waiver moves. That's why the waiver priority is such a key essential point to your teams having success over the long haul. You can always pick up value, even value you might be able able to trade later. And if you have any trade questions for me or start set questions for me or any fantasy football related questions for me, make sure you get those to me on Twitter, on Facebook, and through my website at MDSFF Show for Twitter, at MDFF Show for Facebook, and of course MDFFshow.com where you can email me directly and I'll put a few of your questions on the preview shows upcoming on Thursday and Friday. So it's a great way to get shout out in the show. And of course I will engage with you and make sure that you have the right lineups in place and have the best advice 
advice that you can possibly have for your teams. We have a ton of content that we have to get to right away, so we're not going to take too long here on the intro. We're going to get right into it. We're going to hit a break and start recapping the games from Sunday afternoon. So let's go ahead, hit that break, and get on with the show. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment, bedsheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bedsheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible, signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. So the first game that we're going to go ahead and kick off our recap analysis on is the Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. Why? Because no one else watched this game unless you had a fantasy player involved. That's why. Andy Dalton in this one was still actually serviceable, even though he didn't have a great game. This wasn't a game I told you guys to stream him again, so hopefully most of you had it on your bench anyway. But he did get the rushing touchdown. He did throw for a touchdown, so he still stayed relevant. The volume was there. He still threw for 36 times in this game. Now, he's been throwing the ball a ton, and they haven't really scored more than 20 points in any of the three weeks, but that's a good sign that Andy Dalton's going to be a stream-worthy quarterback throughout most of the season because the volume is going to continue to be there as they rely heavily on the pass. Should only get better when A.J. Green comes back, so keep in mind those matchups. Dalton's going to continue to be somebody that you can go ahead and stream. One nice thing we got to see from this game was Joe Mixon suddenly resurfaced and had a few good runs in this one. 15 carries for 61 yards, looked good, was involved in the passing game, two catches for 34 yards and a touchdown only on two targets. We would like to see him get a little bit more involved there, but a surprise player was involved in this one, Alden Tate. Now, he's nobody you're going to want to pick up for fantasy purposes, but he had 10 targets, six catches, 88 yards in this one, and that has most to do with throwing on the opposite side of Javius White. Like I told you guys before, if Javius White wasn't going to play, then I was okay playing John Ross in that instance. But if he was, I was staying away from John Ross entirely. And that's because he only had six targets, two catches, 22 yards. 
He's just not, he's a match up dependent wide receiver three with upside, John Ross. If he's got a tough corner on the outside who he's going to see, then you know that Tyler Boyd and whoever else they have playing on the inside and the opposite side of him are the ones that are going to have the bigger days those games. So don't play him in matchups like that. Only in favorable matchups can you play John Ross. Now, it was a disappointment here, but it was an expected disappointment. So that's why I am okay with it at the end of the day. And he may have better matchups ahead you're going to be able to play him before A.J. Green comes back. Because as of right now, there still is no set timetable for A.J. Green. He came out last week in an interview and said, hey, I don't know where that original timetable came from. I still don't feel like I'm close to being ready yet. And now we're heading into week four. So that does have some concern. If you've been holding on A.J. Green hoping, you may have to hold on a little bit longer. It may be closer to the week eight by the time you actually get to utilize A.J. Green. I know it's a scary thought. If you have the IR spot and you can continue to roster him that way, I would. But otherwise, you may want to look for trades to move on because even when he comes back, I don't know how healthy he's going to be and it may be just a matter of time before he re-injures that foot because that's what A.J. Green does. What kind of value you get for him? He would have to be involved in some sort of package deal at the end of the day. I'm not going to outright drop A.J. Green, especially if I can avoid it, but it does look like this injury is going to take a little bit longer than it would was supposed to in the first place and on top of it if you're sitting there you're one and two you're zero and three you may not have the ability to just sit back and wait for better days to come for him to get there so just keep that in mind one when you're looking at the prospects of aj green moving on into the future tyler boyd was good in this one from his ppr standpoint six catches 67 yards on 11 targets you like to see him do a little bit more but this was a tough buffalo bills defense on the road that they were facing so at the end of the day tyler boyd maintains his wide receiver three status especially in ppr leagues which is where you want him at the end of the day on the bills side of the ball josh allen continues to be another matchup based streaming quarterback option. He's going to give you just enough with his legs, especially in plus matchups where you're going to be able to utilize him on a pretty consistent basis. He was 23 of 36, 243 yards, a touchdown, an interception passing, but he did go on to tack on another 46 yards rushing. That's just what he is going to do. You know you're going to have a couple of turnovers, so that counts against you as something you have to calculate, but you're not going to play him against top defenses. For instance, you're not going to play Josh Allen against the Patriots next week. So just pick your spots. But in certain matchups and favorable matchups, I'm okay with you streaming Josh Allen if need be because the rushing is going to give him a floor that's going to make you stay safe and stay competitive week in and week out at the quarterback position. Frank Gore. Frank Gore got into the end zone for the second week in a row. It is unbelievable watching this guy run. And on top of it, he did something else he hasn't done in a very long time. He had a 22-yard rush in this game. He has not gone over 15 yards on any one particular carry for the last four years. He went for 22 in this one. All this really shows me is how bad that Cincinnati defense, especially their run defense, is. Where you're going to be able to play every running back and be able to lick your chops whenever they're going to play the Cincinnati Bengals. So something to keep in mind moving forward. Not that we didn't already know that, but this pretty much just confirms that watching Frank Gore actually gash the Cincinnati Bengals looking like a young San Francisco Frank Gore all over again. The volume was there. TJ Yeldon did get eight carries for 30 yards in this one, so he was involved in the running game. He was involved in general, like I suspected that he would, but he did have a fumble in this game. We'll have to see how that plays out moving forward. I don't believe he's going to lose his job simply because they're not going to give Frank Gore 20 touches a game. It's never going to be part of the game plan, 
but TJ Yeldon may find him on the odds outs if he has a fumble trouble again. So something just to keep in mind in the passing game, he only had three targets, two catches for 19 yards. Frank Gore was actually just as involved with his two catches for 13 yards. So Yeldon didn't just run away with the passing work, but he was involved enough so that you know Frank Gore is not going to quite be a volume-based flex play, low-end flex play for you. In certain matchups, when they're playing the Bengals, when they, when they play the Dolphins twice this year, you may be able to play Frank Gore and know that you have a safe floor to at least get some serviceability out of if you're stuck in a pinch because of injuries and bye weeks. But other than that, I'm not playing Frank Gore, and frankly, I'm not rushing out to roster him either. That's why he's not in my waiver wire segment later on today. For the receiving core, John Brown's still the only wide receiver you want to have, but Dawson Knox here did make an appearance. I was waiting for him to get more involved, especially in the red zone. He went for a touchdown in this one, three catchers, 67 yards. He's still not anybody because of this offense, because of shaky quarterback play of Josh Allen, because his offense is so low scoring. He's not somebody who you go ahead and pick up. He's not somebody who I'm looking at the tight end position as of yet, but he is an interesting name, I think, down the road if he continues to be involved, especially in the red zone, because I do like his skill set. And as long as Tyler Croft is out, and that continues to be the case, Dawson Knox does have some upside because he is a pretty athletic tight end, but nobody who I'm looking to pick up just yet. John Brown, this one, only had four catches for 51 yards. Better days are ahead for him. Cole Beasley was the lead target man on the day. 10 targets, 8 catches, 48 yards. I still, even in PPR leagues, am not looking to pick up Cole Beasley. His ceiling is just simply too low on a week-to-week basis. The next game that we got to talk about here is the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins, I guess, in some ways improved. They put up 6 points instead of 3-0. and zero. Right? Well, I guess they had 10 against the Baltimore Ravens, but this game was a little more competitive 31 to 6 instead of 43 0 and 59 to 10. I mean, it's, you know, silver linings if you're the Miami Dolphins, but for fantasy purposes, eh uh-uh. eh. Josh Rosen came in in this one, 18-39, 200 yards, got knocked out for a little bit. Fitzpatrick came in through two passes, that was it. Uh, Josh Rosen, and expectedly so, him starting is not suddenly going to make this offense or the pieces on this offense fantasy relevant in any kind of way. The only thing that was kind of interesting here was that Kenyon Drake finally out-carried Kalen Balazs by a decent enough margin, I guess, 12 to 8 carries. He had 38 yards on his 12 carries, while Kalen Balazs only had 8 carries for 17 yards and continues to look completely lost out there, in my opinion. I'm still holding out hope Kenyon Drake gets traded, but... Because Kalen Balaj looks like he doesn't belong on the field, as I anticipated throughout the entire summer because he's an athlete, not a running back, I don't know if they'll definitely cut ties with Kenyon Drake. Now, they've been selling off everybody they possibly can, and Kenyon Drake's still a free agent at the end of the year, so there's still a very good possibility he does get traded. But I think the Dolphins are starting to hit a point where they got so much crap over the week about blatantly tanking as much as they are that I do wonder if they have some pause now and maybe going ahead and pulling the trigger on a Kenyan Drake trade where it might have been already in the works from last week is something to kind of keep an eye on if we hit the trade deadline and Kenyan Drake is not traded that's what I'm going to tell you to go ahead and drop him because you cannot play him with any confidence whatsoever while he's on the Miami Dolphins he did tack on three catches for 34 yards on six targets in this game if he can get more involved in the passing game, he may find a way to be a spot start for PPR leagues only and full point PPR leagues at that. But he has to get traded before he has any kind of real week to week value. 
Preston Williams continues to impress. I like him for the future, not for this season. He had four catches, 68 yards on 12 targets. Devontae Parker, meanwhile, had six targets, three catches, 56 yards. Preston Williams has been the go-to guy for the past couple of weeks as far as the, the target share goes. Maybe this is a trend that will continue with Josh Rosen, but I still don't know how you play any Miami Dolphin in your lineups on a week-to-week. For the Cowboys side, they pretty much did what you expected them to do. Maybe you were hoping for a bigger game out of Dak, but it was still a good game nonetheless, and you kind of had a feeling this could happen because they don't have to do a lot to win. The Cowboys weren't going to have to do a whole lot. So the fact that Dak went 19-32 of for just 246 yards and two touchdowns with one pick doesn't really surprise you. He does tack on that rushing touchdown, and that's what amplifies his fantasy day and still gives him a higher-end QB one day when it was all said and done. But maybe he just didn't go off the way you were hoping he would, but they didn't have to do a lot. That's going to be the, that's going to be the thing about the Miami Dolphins. When you play your players against them, it's a great matchup. And, of course, you play everybody you possibly can against them. But keep in mind, they may not go go over the top like you would hope they would because offenses aren't going to have to do a lot to beat them. Once you get to buy a couple of scores, you pretty much have the game in hand. So it's going to be a matter of do teams just want to stay aggressive for the sake of being aggressive or they're going to be conservative and just run the clock out and not get anyone hurt. It's going to depend on that team's philosophy at the end of the day. Ezekiel Elliott here was great. 19 carries, 125 yards. The only drawback was he wasn't the one who found the end zone. Tony Pollard did in the fourth quarter when they turned the ball over to him in the second half for the most part when they're already up by a ton. Had no reason to worry about the game. He winds up getting 13 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown. He looked very good. Keep in mind it is the Miami Dolphins though and this isn't going to be a split. Tony Pollard only plays if the Cowboys have the games well in hand, which they did in this one. So it's not going to be suddenly Ezekiel Elliott's losing a significant amount of carries if you're just looking at the box score. It's not what happened in the game. Mari Cooper came in and tore up Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard is not playing well this season. Part of that has to do with the defense in general just being terrible, and he's a lone man out there on an island, and sometimes it's hard to play hard every play when that is the case. But Mari Cooper heard six catches, 88 yards, two touchdowns on seven targets. Nobody else was able to take advantage with Michael Gallup being out. Devin Smith had five targets, two catches, 39 yards. Randall Cobb only had two catches for 23 yards on four targets. Pretty much non-existent. They just didn't have to go to anybody outside of Mari Cooper and the running game. And that's pretty much what they stuck to all throughout the game here. But the thing that you take into consideration is that as long as Michael Gallup's out, Amari Cooper is going to eat and eat consistently. And while he already had a wide receiver one type of ceiling from a week-to-week basis anyway because the way this offense is running under Kellen Moore where a lot more people have a lot better opportunities than they ever did with the Dallas Cowboys he's going to have that floor that maybe is a little bit higher than what it would have been with Michael Gallup out because he's definitely by far going to be the most consistent targeted wide receiver for you on a week-in, week-out basis. Next game up we have the Broncos and we have the Green Bay Packers. Let's start off with the Broncos' side of the ball. Flacco is still terrible. That's that's the number one thing to take out of that. But the rushing game got back on track in this one, and they turned to the running backs, and that's what kept them competitive for most of this game. Phillip Lindsay had 21 carries, 81 yards, and two touchdowns. That was huge. Royce Freeman actually should have had a touchdown as well in this game. It was called back due to a holding penalty. Otherwise, he would have had a big-time game. They both would have been flex-worthy starts, and Royce Freeman still gave you a decent floor at the end of the day because he had 15 carries for 63 yards and was more efficient with his touches once again. He still has the higher yard per carry average. This is still a 50-50 backfield. Philip Lindsay comes out a little more ahead in the touches because Royce Freeman actually got knocked out of this game for a bit with a concussion. 
uh, well, he had a clear concussion protocol, came back in, and he still had five targets in this game. Royce Freeman was still involved in the pass game. Now only went for four catches on for 10 yards, which isn't great, and you like to see more of that, especially if you're getting five targets. But the fact that him and Lindsey both got five targets apiece tells you that this is a true 50-50 split, even in the passing game, where I thought Philip Lindsey might pull ahead of him. Now, Lindsey was much better in the passing game, as you would expect. He had took his five targets for four catches and 49 yards. He's a much more dynamic playmaker. He's going to be better in that area. But the fact that they're still using Roy Freeman keeps him in the low-end flex conversation. This helps Philip Lindsay get back on track, but to me, this game is the perfect game to sell Philip Lindsay high. The Denver Broncos offense is in trouble. I don't know what they're going to do. Flacco is terrible. The receivers aren't going to be able to consistently produce Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton. They're nothing more than wide receiver threes who have some upside if one of them can get going. It was Cortland Sutton in this game who had five catches for 87 yards and eight targets. He had a big, most of it coming on a 52-yard bomb in this one. Emmanuel Sanders was pretty much not to be heard of in this game. Four targets, two catches, 10 yards. But with Joe Flacco as the quarterback, you're going to have some hit and miss with Sutton and with Sanders. And on top of that, the two of them are going to eat from week in, week out. So not only cutting into each other, but you're also dealing with the bad quarterback play. They're nothing more than lower end wide receiver threes, I think, throughout the season. And that's something you're just going to have to deal with where I think they're more spot starters for you in your bye week situations. But Philip Lindsay is the guy who I'm trying to sell high on. I think we just saw his best game of the year. And now that he's back on track a little bit, or now that you can make the case that he's back on track, you may be able to turn around and get an RB2 with a package deal that you can actually count on from week to week because Philip Lindsay, the Broncos rushing game, is going to be very, very matchup dependent when they play teams. So that's something you're going to have to keep in mind. So he's one of my big sell-high candidates while you can. On the Packers side of the ball, the offense continues to just look not right. Now they're 3-0. It's crazy to me they're 3-0. And a lot of it has to do with their defense. They catch a lucky break here with the Denver Broncos not being a very good team coming into this game. But Aaron Rodgers, 17-29, 235 yards and a touchdown. This is the third week in a row where he's failed to even get you 18 points from a fantasy production standpoint. Are better days ahead? Yes. Their schedule gets easier. This was the last tough defense that they have to face for a little while now. So we may see this offense finally be able to pick it up, especially Aaron Rodgers finally be able to pick it up. So I'm not, I'm not panicking on Rodgers. I'm not selling Aaron Rodgers. But something's going to have to happen between him and Matt LaFleur because it is clear that there is a divide between Matt LaFleur's play calling and what Aaron Rodgers wants to do on the field. And that has been the biggest thing that has gotten in their way. This game, even against a tough defense in Denver, but it were home. They should have been able to take advantage of certain matchups, and they weren't able to. And we'll be curious to see against the Philadelphia Eagles, which will be a plus matchup for the passing game, what happens. Now, as far as... All that talk all week about there being a 50-50 split between Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. Guess what? There was one. Jamal Williams actually had more carries in this one. 12 carries, 59 yards. Was way more efficient with his carries, too. Aaron Jones gets you to two touchdowns, so he saves your fantasy day. But 10 carries for 19 yards leaves you less to be desired. Aaron Jones might be another sell-high candidate. If they are actually going to get Jamal Williams this amount of touches, if this is actually going to be a 50-50 split, which it was in this game, I am super panicked on Aaron Jones moving forward, especially with this offense not looking like it's going to be a particularly high-scoring offense throughout the year. Like I said, maybe that offense gets back on track, but that's going to take Aaron Rodgers pretty much taking over in these games and going against the head coach for that to happen. So just keep that in mind. If I could sell Aaron Jones high right now, I would. 
I would get out of that as soon as possible, especially with Jamal Williams all of a sudden now getting these touches for no reason. Absolutely no reason. It's stupid. It's moronic. It's idiotic. It's whatever dumb adjective you want to add to Matt LaFleur. That is what's going on right now. But as a result, you got to bail if you're an Aaron Jones owner. As far as being Jamal Williams, should you pick him up? I don't know. I don't know when I would ever feel like I could actually sit there and play Jamal Williams with a straight face, like I didn't just make the biggest mistake in my life. So while there can be an argument to be made that if he's going to get this kind of volume that he should be rostered, and I can understand that, I also just retort, unless you are desperate, I don't know how you play Jamal Williams in your lineup, so I'm not rushing out to pick him up anyway. Especially if I'm Aaron Jones' owner, I'm just staying away from it entirely and trying to sell out of that backfield as quickly as possible. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had his best game of the year thus far. Six catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets was by far the number one wide receiver in this game. That mostly had to do with Chris Harris shadowing Devontae Adams throughout most of this one. He only had four catches, 56 yards on four targets. He caught all of his targets here, but better days are ahead for Adams. I do believe better days are ahead for Aaron Rodgers. This this Thursday's matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles will be a big one to see if this passing attack can get back on track because it's going to be a plus matchup against that secondary. Plus, they're going to be on the road, so I do think there's going to be more of an emphasis to throw, not to mention the Eagles are a hard defense to run on. So there should be more on the passing game's shoulders in that one. The only thing might be is that because the Eagles are missing so many offensive players, that game might be a little bit tighter, where if the Eagles had their full-fledged offense, I would say definitely play them because there should be volume if nothing else I think the Packers might have to come back to win that game that still could be the case since they're on the road but it could be a lot tighter with the Eagles not having all of their weapons to be able to make their moves next game up we got the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs this to me was the game of the week this is the one everybody wanted to see and it did not disappoint it was a very good game until the end the Chiefs came out ahead Actually, I'm sorry, Baltimore came out ahead, and then the Chiefs took over. They had a huge second quarter, just like they did last week. It was really almost almost matched it for Batum. 23 points in the second quarter this week. They had 28 last week. It's crazy the way they can just turn on on a dime. But the Ravens chipped away and came back in this one and made it very entertaining all the way through. Lamar Jackson didn't throw for a touchdown this one, but he did run for one. And he still wasn't bad through the air. There was a lot of things they just couldn't quite do. Mark Andrews was clearly not quite himself with the foot injury. He wasn't quite able to make those cuts the way you'd like him to. I think if they had a healthier Mark Andrews, I do. I would wonder if the passing game would have looked a lot better in general as a result. But Lamar Jackson, 22-43, 267 yards. Didn't throw a pick, so he still hasn't thrown any interceptions, which has to be a plus side for you guys. And then he ran the ball eight times, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Always giving you the floor. Still went over 20 points as a quarterback. He still is going to be one of the top QB1s of the week as a result of that. So that's what you take out of that. Even in the matchup, didn't quite go his way, which should have been a plus matchup. Didn't, game didn't quite go the way they wanted it to. Didn't quite play as well as you would want him to. Still was very good. And what was actually a low floor game. Or, I'm sorry, a high floor game for Lamar Jackson rather than a high ceiling for him. So that makes you feel good about even in adversity, Lamar Jackson should be a QB1 for you in most weeks. Mark Ingram had the big game here. 16 carries, 103 yards, 3 touchdowns. The only thing I took out of this one that was a little bit interesting to me if I'm a Mark Ingram owner is that Gus Edwards still had 7 carries for 53 yards in this game. And he was very good on his touches too. Now, Mark Ingram is the guy they want to go to in the goal line. Mark Ingram is the guy they want to go to in money situations in general. So that part's good. This is still, you know, a more than 50% split for Mark Ingram. More like a 60, 65 to 40, 35 split there. 
So that's that's still the good news. As long as Mark Ingram's getting you 15-plus carries and a few catches, which he did add on in this game as he tacked on four catches for 32 yards, as long as he's being involved in all facets of the game and with this rushing attack, the way they're built with the Greg Roman system, he's going to have value every single week. And find the end zone three times in this one, no doubt he's a big league winner and went over 100 yards. So you're definitely happy with Mark Ingram. And as long as he keeps having these plus matchups, which they do, which they do have a lot of this season, he's going to continue to be a least a high in RB2, if not an RB1 for you week in and week out. You may want to try to roster Gus Edwards if you have Mark Ingram just in case because he would be the main rusher. However, he's never going to be that involved in the passing game. That will be Justice Hill. But that's the other thing that was interesting to me in this one as far as that backfield go. Justice Hill was not involved in this game. So in the game in which they were behind against a bad defense, Justice Hill didn't come in and have a big time passing down. He only had three targets in this game, didn't catch one ball. So Justice Hill is not there to steal touches from Mark Ingram. That much is clear. Gus Edwards actually looks like more of a threat than Mark Ingram does. So that is a big thing to take away. Justice Hill is droppable, I think, just about in every format other than Dynasty. For the receivers here, Nick Boyle was the one who kind of had the four catches, 58 yards. Nobody was that great, though. Marquise Brown led the way with targets. Mark Andrews was still second in his targets. So you take away Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews is still going to be the main pass catchers whenever they're on the field. Even though Mark Andrews didn't have as many snaps, even though he didn't run as many routes, when he's out there, he's somebody Lamar Jackson looks to go to every single time he is on the field. So that is what you take out of that game. Yes, it was disappointing against Kansas City, but like I said, he was hindered by the foot issue. That's why he only had three catches for 15 yards. I wish Marquise Brown would have done more. There was a couple of big plays that he did make that were called back through the penalty too, so he would have had a much better stat line than his two catches for 49 yards on nine targets. But the big thing you take out of that is this is the third week in a row. He's led the team in targets. He's definitely number one wide receiver and continues to have startability every single week with the big play upside of course out of him I still think he's a low end wide receiver too with upside week in and week out especially with the matchup they have coming up on the Chiefs side of the football here there's a lot we have to get into first of all you know Patrick Mahomes is awesome 27 to 37, 374 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. This is a good Baltimore Ravens defense, too. And this is a game in which they could have very well been one dimensional because McCoy was banged up, even though he played. Damian Williams didn't play in this one. They had to go to Darrell Williams. And yet, Patrick Mahomes still lit up a very good defense at home here for a time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Ton of points. I mean, he's as matchup proof as they come. Sky's the limit all season long, and you want to keep owning all the targets you possibly can. 
For the running game here, LaShawn McCoy was very good. Eight carries, 54 yards, touchdown, should have had two. One was called back due to the penalty. He did re-injure his ankle in the fourth quarter in this game. So if you've been following me on Twitter, you've already been updated on that injury notification on exactly what we're looking at for him. We're not going to really know until we go through practice. Remember, he got injured last week. He didn't miss the game. And he, he looked pretty good to me while he was in there. Does this re-aggravation knock him out for next week? That remains to be seen. And, of course, we'll talk about Darrell Williams in the waiver wire segment if that is going to be the case. Who was very good, too? Now, remember, this is one of the top run defenses in the NFL. And Darrell Williams had nine carries, 62 yards, almost seven yards on average. He had a 41-yarder in this one, which helped a lot with that. But he looked good. And the other thing to take out of this, Darwin Thompson... Not that involved. Not only was he not that involved in the rushing game, he wasn't that involved in the passing game either. To be clear, Darwin Thompson didn't have one target in the passing game. So it's the comments Andy Reid made leading up to the week was that Darwin Thompson, he just sounds like Andy Reid doesn't feel like he's quite ready. He doesn't quite have the pass protections down. He's not quite dependable in those key situations to protect Patrick Mahomes. And as long as that's the case, it's really hard for running backs who don't have pass protection ability to find themselves on the field. And that with that in mind, if McCoy does miss, Darrell Williams may find himself in a situation where he's getting a ton of work. He got a ton of work in this one. Even in the passing game, he had five targets, five catches, 47 yards. He was good in every facet of this game. So he's going to be a name to watch to see what happens if LaShawn McCoy does not play this week upcoming. And in the meantime, McCoy was very good too. So Damian Williams, I think he might be losing his job as far as being a rusher goes when he does come back because McCoy looks like he's ready to take that job. And I've been saying it all year, Damian Williams isn't a good enough rusher to, I think, to maintain that role. When he comes back, will he be involved in the passing game? Absolutely. Absolutely. But as far as the rusher goes, McCoy might have just solidified it even if he does miss a week. As far as the pass catching goes, Travis Kelsey was very solid. Seven catches, 89 yards on eight targets. Want to see him get in the end zone a little bit more. Those are better days to come. Once again, Sammy Watkins was a little bit disappointing. He tied with Travis Kelsey for the most targets on the team with eight. Five catches, 64 yards. You want to see him get in the end zone more. You want to see him get those big plays more. Now, having said all that, obviously with Tyreek Hill out, Sammy Watkins is the number one wide receiver. Defenses are game playing to try to take away. But he should be still getting more involved with Patrick Mahomes throwing touchdowns left and right the way he has been. One with the Shady McCoy in, in the catching. Another one with the Demarcus Robinson on a nice play. And, of course, Mecole Harmon had the long 83-yarder down the field. Now, Mecole Harmon and Demarcus Robinson only had four and five targets in this one. So from a volume standpoint, it's not there. When you play these guys, you are taking. You have to understand you are playing them as flyers. You are hoping they catch a bomb touchdown. Otherwise, I don't know how much value they provide you. They have very low floors. Now, of course, they have the upside. With Patrick Mahomes slinging it down the field and with Tyreek Hill out, they're getting more and more playing time. And because teams are game planning for Watkins and game planning for Travis Kelsey and game planning for the running game, they're getting open on some plays. This is what's happened the past couple of weeks. And it was impressive they were able to do that against the Baltimore Ravens. But you're still taking a flyer. So just keep that in mind. You have to be in a position where I think you have to take a home run threat to really feel like it's a good idea at the end of the day. So I'm not rushing to play Hardman. I'm not rushing to play Robinson. But bye weeks are coming. We have our first one this week in week four where the 49ers and the Jets are going to be out on bye. Now there's not a lot of fantasy wide receivers in that route, but it just goes to show you the bye weeks are going to be starting soon. So they will have more value here until Tyreek Hill comes back. But just keep in mind, you are taking a flyer on that. 
Next game we're going to talk about here is the Jets and the Patriots. This game went about as expected, where the Patriots kind of pummeled them and then took their foot off the pedal and then put in the backups, and then the Jets scored a couple of times. Luke Falk was terrible in this game. Uh, and Actually, the touchdowns, too, came from the defense and special teams, too, to top it off. It didn't even come from the offense. Uh, Luke Falk was predictably awful. And as a result, none of the receivers had much value. Jameson Crowder was only targeted five times. Robbie Anderson was only targeted five times. It's just bad. And look, for as far as Crowder goes, I still believe he has good value for you in full one-point PPR leagues when Sam Darnold comes back in Week 5 after their bye this week. Outside of that, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust Robbie Anderson. I think at this point, Robbie Anderson is somebody that if you need a roster spot, you can drop. I'm not necessarily going to drop him for just nothing. I'm not going to look to drop him, but if you need a roster spot with the bye weeks coming up with injuries, he is somebody I'm okay with you dropping because even when Sam Darnold comes back, to me, Crowder is still the only wide receiver that I would want to own and only in one type of scoring format at that, not in half point and not in standard. Le'Veon Bell had a ton of volume, four four targets, four catches, 28 yards, 18 carries for 35 yards, just obviously not a lot of production. 22 touches in all. But at the end of the day, just couldn't find anything. All the Patriots had to do was take away Le'Veon Bell. That was it. That was their only thing that they had to do against this team. That was the problem. Now, they're going to have better matchups. They're going to play defenses that aren't nearly as good as New England Patriots. So better days are ahead for Le'Veon Bell. I'm not panicking on Le'Veon Bell. He's not a sell low for me. If anything, he's a buy low for me if you're another team looking to make a splash because he does have a good floor with the amount of volume you can expect him to get. He's always going to have 20-plus touches in every single game. So that's somebody who's going to have a high floor for you, and he's going to find the end zone in matchups where they're not you know, running into a buzzsaw as the New England Patriots. So better days are ahead for Le'Veon. I'm not panicking on him as far as the Jets, but as far as Jets go, that's pretty much all it does for the fantasy talent. On the Patriots side of the ball, Brady continues to be a top five quarterback. Over 300 yards, two touchdowns in this game. Josh Gordon was the man of the day. Josh Gordon's value went up. And then it went down when Antonio Brown came, and now Antonio Brown's gone again, and it's right back up again because he is the big play wide receiver, and he's going to get a healthy amount of targets with him and Julian Edelman leading the way. Now, now Gordon did get banged up in this one a little bit, came back in. He should be fine to moving forward. Julian Edelman got banged up in this game. He did get knocked out for the remainder of this game. However, he did have MRI results on Monday. They came back negative. Everyone seems to expect him to be good to go and playing in Week 5, so Julian Edelman should be in your spots. Josh Gordon led the way with 11 targets in this one, 6 catches, 83 yards. The only thing he didn't do was find the end zone. That was actually Edelman on this one. 7 catches, 62 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. Philip Dorsett had a decent little game. Six catches, 53 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. He's someone who has sleeper, little sneaky value for you that you can maybe plug and play. He's still going to be a guy who has a low floor because they very easily could just not go to Philip Dorsett that day because he's not a featured weapon. But I'm going to talk about him a little bit on the waiver wire segment just in case Julian Edelman... They try to take it easy with him this week, but I doubt they will against the Bills. But we'll talk about him a little bit in the waiver wire segment later on today. The one thing that I am starting to panic a little bit on is Sony Michelle. He only had nine carries for 11 yards. He does find the end zone, thankfully, but Rex Burkhead was the guy. Now, they didn't have to do a whole lot this game, and in the second half, they did play a lot of their backups. So Sony Michelle only really had one half of football under his belt going into this one. But Burkhead's been solid and annoying. 11 carries, 47 yards, a rushing touchdown in this one, six catches, 22 yards on seven targets, 
you knew he was going to be really involved when James White was inactive because his, you know, he was having a baby. So that's understandable. So Rex Burkhead will go back to being number three when James White comes back next week. So that's why Rex Burkhead, to me, is still not somebody who you had to pick up. Or if you picked him up for this past week because you knew James White was out, he's not somebody who had to feel the need to have to continue to roster. But Sony Michelle is somebody who I'm starting to get a little bit worried about because these have been all games that should be Sony Michelle type of games. They have blown out everyone they have played so far, and Michelle has been less, less than satisfying. Not, not, not just, not just didn't produce at the level you expected him to. Not just disappointing, less than satisfying, less than solid on these past few games. I am worried about Sony Michelle, and I, he's somebody who. I may look to move on from if I'm able to find a decent deal. Now, he's somebody who could very well turn it on in the rest of the season moving forward. He's a very good talent. The Patriots are a very good offense. He's going to have good opportunities. The one thing that is working in his favor is that James Devlin, the vulture touchdown fullback, is on injury reserve now. He got sent to the IR today after getting banged up in this game yesterday. So that could go a long way in helping save Sonny Michelle moving forward because now when they get in the goal line, instead of having to worry about possibly getting vultured by the fullback, they will hand that ball off to Sonny Michelle now if it's not Tom Brady sneaking it in from the one, which you know they're, they're capable of doing at any given moment as well. But that can help Sonny Michelle maybe have more of a floor at least moving forward where you know if they're getting inside the five-yard line, they will actually hand the ball off to Sonny Michelle. That's my only silver lining that I have for you right now until we see better results and still see them actually utilize until maybe Rex Burkhead goes away, which I don't know if it does unless he gets hurt. That, those are the things that has me worried right now about Sonny Michelle. They just have too many guys are stealing too many touches at the end of the day. We're going to take a quick break. We have a lot more games to get to on the other side. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. Uh, now, sadly, we have the Lions and the Eagles to talk about. And I say sadly because Matthew Stafford was one of my top streaming quarterbacks. I actually had him number five as the quarterback position going into this matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought for sure on the road against the Eagles defense, who's so good against the run, but so vulnerable against the pass, that Matthew Stafford, the way he's looked so far this season, would be able to attack him down the field, especially with Kenny Galladay, and none of that came to fruition. Because none of it had to at the end of the day. Look, the Detroit Lions still did the Detroit Lions thing, where they tried to find a way to choke this game away at the very end. But, beginning off, they had a, they had a special teams touchdown. Their defense played really well. And at the end of the day, Stafford wound up not having to do a whole hell of a lot. This game was 20-10 to at the half. Eagles made it close later on. But he only had one touchdown. didn't come till the second half. And he threw that one to Marvin Jones. So I think better days ahead. Matthew Stafford is still going to be one of my top streaming quarterbacks against the Kansas City Chiefs this upcoming week for pretty much the same reasons. I do think there's going to be more pressure on them to have to score in that game because it's the Kansas City Chiefs. We know that this game went a little bit different than maybe it would have expected to because the Eagles' offense was handicapped, essentially, with Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey both out in this one. I'll have better calls. I'll get better. Don't you guys worry. Like I said, I'm still sticking with Matthew Stafford. If you picked him up to be a streaming quarterback, I'm going to play him one more week against Kansas City Chiefs. I am. 
The floor should be there at the very least. Uh, like I said, I do think he's going to be put on the spot to have to score points, and they should be able to go down the field. And I expect Kenny Galladay to have a much better game as well. He only had two catches, 17 yards, but he had eight targets in this one. It was Marvin Jones at the end of the day. Six catches, 100 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. Marvin Jones is still a wide receiver for who you can play in certain matchups. So like against Kansas City Chiefs, I think Marvin Jones is somebody who you can play. And expect at least a floor out of him at the flex position. But that's that's what he is. This this offense is going to go through Kenny Galladay more times than not in the passing game. And they're going to be more productive there too. Now the one cool thing that we also talk about is Carryon Johnson. And I say the one cool thing because this is finally the first game we saw him get 20 carries. They cut C.J. Anderson. A lot of people weren't sure if that meant Ty Johnson was just going to get more work. If that meant that's who Carryon was going to split with. I was confident that that meant if C.J. Anderson was out, Carryon Johnson would then get the opportunities at the goal line. And he did. He got a touchdown. Now look, this Eagle defense is a hard defense to run on. They're a dominant run defense. So I wasn't expecting much efficiency. Was I expecting probably more? If you, got 20, if you told me he was going to get 20 carries, do I tell you I expect more than 36 yards? Less than 2 yards carry? Yeah. I, I would have expected more than that. But this is a bad offensive line in Detroit. Is a very good front seven for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not surprised he was inefficient. What I'm just happy about, especially being a guy who has Carryon Johnson in a few leagues, I'm happy that he was in there in the goal line situation. I'm happy that he was the guy they went to in all three downs. I'm happy that he was going to be in those money situations throughout the field, even in third and one. And I'm also happy that Ty Johnson only had four carries in this game and also wasn't involved in the passing game. So those are all plus things to take out of. They have a much better matchup coming against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think if Carrion's going to get the same amount of work or the same type of work against the Eagles that he does against the Chiefs, he should have a very good game against the Kansas City Chiefs. But now, with the work that he has, with C.J. Anderson not being around, with the possible goal line carries in his future, he has a floor that he didn't quite have before, making him a much higher RB2, much more where you drafted him at in the first place. The Detroit Lions are seemingly showing that they're getting smarter. Now, I don't I don't want to put too much of that positivity out in the air because the Detroit Lions, they come back right around next week and say, like, hey, screw it. You know what? Carry on. You're going to take a, you know, you're going to split a 50-50 with Ty Johnson because we feel like it. So I don't want to put too much positivity in the air, but... It's promising moving forward what we're seeing as far as that volume goes. On the Eagles side of the ball, it went about as expected. Carson Wentz had a decent game. 259 yards, two touchdowns. Miles Sanders was utilizing this one. 13 carries, 53 yards. Jordan Howard had 11 carries. So it was more of a 50-50 split between the two running backs. Jordan Howard was also the one who got into the end zone. And whenever they got into the goal line situations, Jordan Howard was the one who came in. So Miles Sanders is still not in there in money ball situations. He's not. So Miles Sanders is still somebody who I'm not trying to start in my leagues. He needs to be rostered, but I'm not trying to start him. Jordan Howard is still going to get those goal line carries. Now, he was more involved in the pass game. In fact, was the leading receiver as far as yards go. Only had four targets, only two catches, but 73 yards because he had a nice 40-yarder on the one. So he had that was promising to see, but he also had a bad drop. The guy who I'm surprised they're not getting involved since week one is Darren Sproles. I do wonder how long that's going to continue. I think part of that's been because they want to try to get Miles Sanders involved in all three downs. But I do wonder, especially since Sanders... Dropped a couple key passes in this one, even though he did have two big catches. I do wonder how long it's going to be before they're like, you know, let's get Darren Sproles back involved. That's why I'm just not touching this Philadelphia Eagles backfield at the end of the day. There's just too 
much to go around. Nelson Aguilar, if you picked him up to play him, in the absence of Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, he didn't disappoint. Eight catches, 50 yards, two touchdowns, struggle with drops. But that's Nelson Aguilar. Had 12 targets in this one. You knew he's going to be by far the most targeted wide receiver. Next to him was Zach Ertz, seven targets, four catches, 64 yards. That was disappointing. Zach Ertz, I really expected to have a much bigger game. I expected him to have at least closer mile target share with Nelson Aguilar in this one. That was a little disappointing to see that Zach Ertz did not have a huge game, and the volume should definitely have been there, even more so for him. And they were down in this game for most of it. So that was a little bit disappointing. They might have all shone back against Green Bay on Thursday night. We'll have to keep our eyes on that. It doesn't look like they'll have the Sean, but there's a chance all Sean plays. If not, continue to play Nelson Aguilar. Even if even if Alshon does play, continue to play Nelson Aguilar because he won't see Jared Alexander in the slot. And that's where you can beat the Green Bay secondary right now is from the slot position. So I would still play him regardless. Zach Ertz, you can hope for bigger days out of him coming up. So I'm not I'm not worried about Zach Ertz at the end of the day. Next game up, we got the Falcons and we have the Colts. Once again, Matt Ryan goes over 300 yards, three touchdowns from a fantasy production. He's doing great. Football production, Atlanta Falcons-wise, that team right now looks to be a little bit in disarray. Looks like they're kind of trying to, they're answering, they're trying to, they're asking more questions than they're able to answer at the end of the day. That's what it's coming down to. But for fantasy purposes, you know what's what. Matt Ryan, once again, gets his 300 yards, gets his three touchdowns. He continues to be a top QB1 for you guys week in and week out. And it's going to continue to be that way, especially if they're going to be down a lot of these games. Ken O'Neill got hurt in this one. That defense took a big hit. It was already shaky to begin with. They're going to be coming back from behind in a lot of games, I believe, in the second half. It's going to be a lot of volume for Matt Ryan. Ito Smith got banged up in this one. He had a concussion. He's going to be in the concussion protocol heading into this week. And we saw what happened when he didn't play. Devontae Freeman got everything. And Freeman finally got back on track as a result. 19 touches in total in this game. 95 yards in total. Didn't score, but finally got over 5 yards to carry in this one. Looked better. This was a good matchup against the Colts. I said going into this game, if Freeman doesn't at least look good in this matchup, then I would start to be worried. He did look good in this matchup. It did help that Edo Smith was out there and he wasn't sharing any touches. And that could wind up being the case for at least one more week. So, something to keep in mind, but I'm no longer panicking on Devontae Freeman. I'm still staying tough, but he is on the higher end of the RB3, lower end of the RB2 situation right now, with a higher ceiling if Edo Smith continues to miss. And we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Julio Jones continues to be a monster. I mean, third week in a row, he scored a touchdown. He's definitely has those days behind him where he's not schematically getting targeted in the red zone. He's getting targeted in the red zone constantly by Matt Ryan now. He is the number one guy to go to, which he should be, but he just hadn't been for years. Eight catches, 128 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. He's as consistent and as much of a monster as they come. I love Julio Jones every week, week in, week out. Wide receiver one, prototypical wide receiver one, the guy you drafted in the first round for a reason. The disappointment was Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley only had one target in this game, one catch for six yards in a plus matchup. That was a bit disappointing, especially after watching Muhammad Sanu go for six catches of 75 yards, after watching Austin Hooper go six catches, 66 yards, and then finding the end zone twice. That was all very disappointing, but it just that was one of those things where Calvin Ridley's a red zone guy, and he just had his red zone looks taken away by Austin Hooper in this one. That's not going to happen. It's going to be the other way around more times than not. Nothing to worry about there. Just a disappointment. Sometimes you just got to take the L and you got to move on and know to still play your guys at the end of the day. 
On the Colts side of the ball, Marlon Mack continues to be as dependable as they come and frankly has been an RB1 through three weeks and should be continued to be looked upon as one moving forward. T.Y. Hilton was hurt in this game. It sounds like he's probably going to miss week four. He had a quadriceps injury. It's a re-aggravation, as they say, and it could be more than the week depending on how severe it is as we still wait word on exactly how bad it is. Before he left, though, he had a good game. Eight catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets. The question is going to be who takes over. Deion Kane had been starting for Devin Funches past couple of weeks, but hadn't been involved at all in the offense. Paris Campbell did come in, three catches, 24 yards on three targets. That's who I think it's going to be at the end of the day as far as taking over for T.Y. Hilton, where the targets go. So Paris Campbell is going to be somebody who we're going to talk about on the waiver wire segment. As a result, he's somebody who has to be picked up. So the targets are going to have to go somewhere. The Colts are going to be in tight games, I think, all year, if not coming back from behind in most of their matchups. So they got to go somewhere, and if they're not going to go to Deion Kane, who started the last two weeks and hasn't been pretty much looked at, which has been surprising to me, then it's going to have to go to Paris Campbell. They go up, they play the Raiders next week. It's going to be a plus matchup. So we're going to talk about, of course, we're going to talk about that game in the preview, but we're going to talk about Paris Campbell a little bit in the waiver wire segment. Next up, we have the Raiders and the Vikings. And the Vikings dominated as expected. Kirk Cousins was better. Not great for fantasy, obviously. 15-21, only 174 yards, only one touchdown pass. But it kind of reminds me a lot of when I talked about Jameis Winston leading up in the week three. I said that he looked, from an NFL standpoint, he played much better against Carolina. And I was like, that's step one. And then you get a good matchup, and then you right the ship and get the offensive production, get the fantasy production you've been expecting with the weapons that you have, which is exactly what he did against the Giants. The same thing might be on the way for Kirk Cousins. Now, the one caveat is that they play Chicago next week. So I don't know if they write the ship against Chicago necessarily as far as the production goes, but he played better in this game from an NFL standpoint, which is a stepping stone moving away from that cold slump that he had. Stephon Diggs was disappointing in this one, but he did have a touchdown called back, and this is the first game that he hasn't scored a touchdown. Adam Thielen was the guy, three catches, 55 yards, a touchdown, five targets. Dalvin Cook had five targets in this one, four catches, 33 yards, and of course was dominant on the ground. Another 100 yards, another touchdown. It will be a true test next week when they play Chicago, exactly what happens, but Dalvin Cook's an RB1, and because he gets involved in the passing game the way he does, even in a tough match against Chicago, he should still have a high floor at the end of the day. Alexander Madison did find the end zone. They kind of turned the ball over to him in the fourth quarter when they're already up by a ton. There's no reason to get Cook hurt. Once again, he just proves that if you're a Dalvin Cook owner, you have to own Alexander Madison. He's just too good. He will be a high-end RB2 if something were to ever happen to Dalvin Cook. He will assume that role, that three-down workman role. That will be his job. He can do it. He's proving he can do it when he gets his chances on the field. If you're a Dalvin Cook owner, you have to own Alexander Madison to protect yourself. Plain and simple. Diggs is going to have better days, like I said. Three catches, 15 yards, three targets after they play Chicago, which is a tough matchup, and I can understand being hesitant about that one. After they play Chicago, though, they have about five or six games of plus matchups in a row. Where I expect that, that, and that's why I said Kirk Cousins playing better in this one was a big stepping stone because if you continue just to play a little bit better, NFL standpoint, the production is going to come because they have some plus matchups coming up against some bad defense, especially in the air. So there are better weeks ahead for both Thielen, for both Diggs, and even for Kirk Cousins to possibly be a streaming quarterback again at some point this season. 
And it's a great match for Dalvin Cook to come, of course, too. But better days are ahead for those guys. I'm not panicking on Stephon Diggs or anybody in that passing game just yet. Next up, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner hi i'm maria and i'm mike and we're team ready black hills energy knows your home is where your heart is so they want you to be ready it's all about keeping you safe prepared and making your home as energy efficient as possible everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather be ready for anything go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready we got the Panthers, and we have the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle Allen coming in for Cam Newton and said, what? I should be the starter. 261 yards, four passing touchdowns, got everyone involved. Greg Olson had two touchdowns. Curtis Samuel had a touchdown. DJ Moore had a touchdown. Now, the only thing concerning about this one is Samuel had seven targets. Olson had seven targets. DJ Moore only had two. So I'm a little concerned that DJ Moore only had two targets against Arizona Cardinals. It's a plus matchup. Now, of course, it's a 50-yard touchdown bomb, so it makes up for a lot. But it is interesting to see with a new quarterback, he favored Greg Olson, he favored Curtis Samuel over DJ Moore. Now, will that continue to be the trend? We'll see. At the end of the day, while the Cardinals are a plus matchup for everyone everywhere, Byron Murphy saw who is their best corner, saw DJ Moore most of the time. So we'll see. DJ Moore is still the number one wide receiver on that team. I think he'll be targeted more next week especially. But the big thing to keep in mind is that with Kyle Allen, if you're worried about the Panthers being able to maintain their fantasy production at their skill positions, you are worried no longer. He threw a nice ball. He played great. Yes, it was against the Cardinals, but he still played a really good NFL game. He kept everyone involved. And now you can have confidence moving forward. You can still play guys like Samuel and Moore and Olsen in plus matchups moving forward and still be able to have the same level of expectations you would have had for them if Cam was in the game. And they have another plus matchup against the Houston Texans next week against another offense that can put up a lot of points. So we're gonna we're gonna get to see them be able to be aggressive and have to put up points again next week. Christian McCaffrey was phenomenal. He did this point in week two. He made up for it in week three and then some. Twenty four carries, one hundred fifty three yards, and a touchdown. He had one seventy five yard touchdown in this one. Absolutely crazy. Tacked on three catches for thirty five yards. Christian McCaffrey is as safe as an RB one as they come. For the Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray is. Volume only. Did have two touchdowns in this game, only 173 yards off after being 30 of 43. Now, because of this offense, because they're always going to have to be playing from behind against pretty much everyone because this is not a good team, he continues to have his streamability floor as a result. The one thing about this game that was encouraging if you own Kyler Murray and playing him at the quarterback position was that they did make more of an effort to actually utilize his legs. He finally ran for 69 yards in this one. A couple of them were designed runs for the quarterback. 
So I think that was definitely part of the game plan. I think Clipsbury realizes, like, hey, you want this offense to fully function? You're going to have to start using Kyler Murray's best weapon, which is his legs. It's not his arm. It's not because he doesn't have the ability to read defenses right now. His passing ability is not there. He doesn't have a ton of weapons to throw to outside of Lager Fitzgerald and David Johnson on a regular basis. His best asset is his legs. That's why he was fantasy relevant. So it was encouraging to see that they got to utilize him in that way. And that's what gave him his floor in this game. That's what made him still a streamable quarterback at the end of the day. And probably will continue to do so if they utilize him that way. David Johnson in this one once again finds the end zone. He has not been very productive as far as a yardage standpoint comes. In this one, 11 carries to 37 yards, 6 catches for 28 yards. But he's found the end zone 3 games straight. And he's going to get touches, he's going to get opportunities in those situations to score. Him and Fitz. Fitzgerald, first game he didn't go over 100 yards, but he found the end zone in this one too. So he was still good for you as well. So Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson have just, they have really good floors because you know at the end of the day this is going to be a high volume offense and they're going to get their opportunities. And they are good enough players even though the offensive lines and really frankly the rest of the offense around them is still bad. They're going to get enough opportunities to continue to have their fantasy value week in and week out. That's the plus side. Christian Kirk was huge for PPR purposes. 10 catches, 59 yards. He didn't have a touchdown, 12 targets in this one. That's not something you can count on moving forward. But once again, it's a high-volume offense. He is the second-best wide receiver on the team. So there's going to be games where he's going to be able to be targeted a bunch. I still only like him in PPR leagues. Standard leagues, no. I don't even know if I roster him in standard leagues. Half point, I'll think about it. PPR leagues is the only one I can be like, all right, I can play you in certain matchups. Like this one. We wound up with 10 catches. But you're you're so dependent on the volume with the Arizona Cardinal fantasy players right now. And I'm still only playing David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald on a week-to-week basis, streaming Kyler Murray as needed because of the volume there. And that is pretty much it. For the Giants and the Buccaneers, Daniel Jones makes his debut and does not disappoint and pretty much makes me eat my words on his debut. Now, look, it's his first game. It was against Tampa Bay. So I'm not going to totally eat my words on what I think about what Daniel Jones' talent really is. But I give credit where credit is due. He was impressive in this game. And he did things that Eli Manning cannot do. Uh, 336 yards, two touchdowns, and he ran in for two touchdowns. I mean... If you played him in D, I don't know if anybody would have played him actually in redraft leagues in his, his first game, first NFL debut game. I don't know anybody who would have had the courage to actually pull that trigger. But if you happen to take the shot on him in a DFS, you look like a genius right now. Four touchdowns total, two of them being rushing. Absolutely incredible. And it's going to be really interesting to see moving forward because he might have a volume standpoint now. Saquon's going to be out. High ankle sprain. Four to eight weeks is the timeline. From what I'm hearing, the eight weeks being the more reasonable timeline. Possibly talk about him not coming back after their bye week, which they means he wouldn't be back until week 11. That's really concerning if you're a Saquon Barkley owner. You, Wayne Gallman, of course, is going to be the waiver wire segment. We're going to talk about him there. Now, nobody was really good in this game. Tampa Bay does have a very good defensive run front. So they are a difficult team to run on with Vita Vey and Dominic Sue and those guys up front. They do have a good defensive line. So they're not going to always be the easiest team to run on. But Wayne Gallman might be in a position here to get a ton of volume moving forward. As far as receivers go, guess what? The guys you would want to have volume 
or want to have value, had their value. Evan Ingram, six catches, 113 yards and a touch on eight targets. Sterling Shepard, seven catches, 100 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Now, Sterling Shepard is going to be interesting to see what happens with him because this is the last week before Golden Tate comes back from his suspension. So he has one more week where he has all the volume to himself as far as the wide receivers go, and then we're going to have to see how this whole thing works out between him and Golden Tate. I think they're pretty much just going to cut into each other for the most part, rendering rendering them both wide receiver fours at the end of the day. Evan Ingram is as safe as they come. He's a top five tight end, no doubt about it. And he get, and he's matchup proof. He's going to be the guy they go to in the red zone. He's going to be probably one of the favorite targets of Daniel Jones moving forward and, most, and one of the more dependable ones too. Guy I want to look out for, Darius Slayton. He's a rookie. He made his rookie debut in this one. Did have one bad drop, but had three catches for 82 yards on five targets. He's a big play guy. And the one thing I would scream about the Giants, the biggest thing that they have a problem with their offense moving forward, especially why Saquon has seen so many nine Tamman fronts, is because they didn't have a big play guy. He came out. He did what he needed to do. He stretched the field. He opened things up for them in general. Now they're really going to have to lean more on the passing game with Wayne Gallman being the starting running back and Saquon being out for a while. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this offense ticks after that. But he is somebody who might be a DFS play here and there because of his big playability. Somebody to look out for, somebody I really liked coming into the NFL. On the Tampa Bay Buccaneers side of the ball, Jameis Winston back, back at the form. Shows you why he's going to have QB1 upside in certain matchups this year. 380 yards, three touchdowns. All three touchdowns went to Mike Evans. Eight catches, 190 yards, has the three, 15 targets. We knew they were going to want to get right with Mike Evans. We knew that the Giants were going to be a great matchup for that offense in general to get going again, especially at home. And Jameis and Mike Evans didn't disappoint. And O.J. Howard looked like he finally had life again as well. Now, the one thing about O.J. Howard, though, is that in this matchup, a lot of it had to do with because Mike Evans was just so dominant here, but still only three catches. Now, it went for 66 yards. Like I said, he did show signs of life, and that's the silver line that you take out of that moving forward because I still think O.J. Howard is somebody who should be rostered in all leagues that play a tight end and should be starting in most weeks, too. It's just it might be matchup proof with this offense of what you can depend on them. Chris Godwin was at this point. Chris Godwin was my number one receiver. I really thought that him and Evans were going to both be able to eat in this game. I didn't expect Evans to be so dominant. I didn't expect them to have have the only throw to Evans, which is pretty much what this game looked like. They came with the idea that we're going to get the ball to Mike Evans come hell or high water after the first two weeks. That that's pretty much what it came down to. And Chris Godwin, this one, four targets, three catches, 40 yards. We know there's better days ahead. He's been very good up until this point. Obviously, no reason to worry about Chris Godwin moving forward. They're going to play enough teams to have a number one corner. They're going to take away Mike Evans or try to take away Mike Evans. Chris Godwin's going to be the one who has the mismatch on the other side. He's going to eat on those games. So I'm not worried about it at the end of the day. So Tampa Bay getting a big step back into the right direction in this one. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to wrap up the last five games we have to talk about for the Week 3 recap and then have the waiver wire segment later on. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. 
So let's keep the party rolling right here as we talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers. Mason Rudolph getting his first full start as a Pittsburgh Steeler in this one. Wasn't terrible, wasn't great. 174 yards and two touchdowns. Seem to have trouble sometimes. He, he just he looks more comfortable when he's able to set up play action and deep bomb. And they just weren't able to get James Conner going and efficient enough in this one. Better days are ahead for James Conner starting next week as they play the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football. So I expect James Conner to have a big bounce back week. I know he's been disappointed for the first three weeks, but James Conner will be an RB1 heading into this week's matchup. I guarantee you that. 13 carries, 43 yards. Not great in this one. Four catches, 14 yards. But the silver line that you can take out is they did what I expected them to do with Mason Rudolph as a starting quarterback, which is they came out and tried to establish the run. That offensive line is better than how they played in San Francisco. Remember, this game was on the road. They did have to travel. So there's some expectation in that that maybe they didn't play as sharp as they could. But this offensive line in general should be much better run blocking down the road. And it could be a nice get-right game against the Cincinnati Bengals next Monday night. Night. really would not surprise me. I think James Conner is going to have a big one. So better days are ahead. I am not panicking on James Conner if I own him. I'm not selling low on him. I'm keeping him. They're going to, like I said, at the end of the day, the biggest thing to take out of this game was that they were more balanced in their play calling attack. They will have to lean on James Conner more and more with Mason Rudolph as a starting quarterback. The other thing that was good to see was that Juju Smith-Schuster was the highest targeted wide receiver. Three catches, 81 yards, had a nice 75-yard touchdown in this one. You want to see him get more involved as far as getting more catches than three off of seven targets. Mason Rudolph will get better as he plays more. The San Francisco defense has been pretty good up until this point, so that's something to take into consideration as well. Deontay Johnson, this one was interesting. Coming in, starting for Dante Moncrief, three catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. There's clearly a rapport between Deontay Johnson and Mason Rudolph, probably with practicing with each other. The guy who didn't go off, who I told you guys all to not pick up and to not bother playing and to not getting your hopes up was James Washington. James Washington, four targets, two catches, 14 yards. All of the talk about, oh, they played together in college. Oh, there's a rapport there already. Oh, James Washington said this is great. I'm telling you guys all along, James Washington is not nearly as good as he's hyped up to be. Deontay Johnson, to me, is already better than what James Washington is as a rookie. He just is in my book. At the end of the day, I think this Pittsburgh Steelers offense is only going to be able to support one wide receiver, and his name's Juju Smith-Schuster. Outside of that, I don't know if you can trust another Pittsburgh wide receiver on a week-to-week basis. I think this whole offense has now been reduced to just James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster as far as being able to play fantasy-wise, frankly, at the end of the day. On the 49ers side of the ball, their rushing game was a lot better than I expected it to be. That was the biggest thing I took out of that. Raheem Mostert was still very good. 12 carries, 79 yards. Brent Breida was still very good. 14 carries and 69 yards. Now, none of them find the end zone, and they both had to split. Once again, it's like deja vu. Jeff Wilson Jr. comes in gets two rushing touchdowns. Shanahan stayed true to his word. Jeff Wilson Jr. is the goal line guy, which makes... Moster and Brita, nothing more than flex plays. Because if they're not going to get the opportunity to score inside the 10, and they're going to have to break one in order to score, it's not very often with the two of them splitting carries the way they are, when it is almost a 50-50 split, essentially, that they're ever going to go over 100 yards that often. They did it against Cincinnati. That's because it's Cincinnati. It's a big reason why I think James Conner bounces back next week. But that's because it was against Cincinnati. It's not going to happen very often against anybody else. Therefore, they're nothing more than flex plays. And when Tevin Coleman comes back into the mix, remember, they're on their bye next week. And he might be back week five. They're already talking about it. When he comes back into the mix, 
Lord only knows what this backfield is going to look like. I don't know how you start any 49er, including Tevin Coleman, in Week Five until you see exactly what happens from exactly what happens in that split. Exactly what Kyle Shanahan plans on doing. It, it's a running. It's a backfield that has a ton of value and yet no value at the same time because too many guys are touching the ball. Jimmy Guapolo was decent, not great, but decent. 277 yards, a touchdown, had two picks. He's turned. He's been been a bit turnover prone so far this season, which has really been hindering fantasy wise. Once again, George Kittle was the number one wide receiver. Once again, George Kittle did not find the end zone. Touchdowns are going to come. All right, I know it's been three weeks. And he's been pretty much getting this like five to six catch for 50 something yards week in and week out so far. The touchdowns and the big games, they're going to come. So don't worry about it there. The only other wide receiver of note, Debo Samuel, three catches, 44 yards on four targets. Dante Pettis actually had five targets in this game for only four catches, 20 yards, did find the end zone. He played a little bit more. Still the only wide receiver who I'm playing right now is Debo Samuel against teams that are vulnerable against slot wide receivers. Outside of that, though, the only pass catcher I really want to play is George Kittle. And like I said, other than the running backs being flex plays, low high floor flex plays, I don't know how else you're starting a San Francisco 49 right now. While they've been solid as a team, there's just not a lot of fantasy production to be able to go in with a high ceiling week in and week out. Our next game, we have the Texans and the Chargers. This was a back-and-forth game, a lot of offensive scoring. Sean Watson was great. Bounced back after a bad fantasy week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but that was to be expected. Comes back in this one, 350 yards, three touchdowns, 25-34, was highly accurate in this game. Played his butt off. DeAndre Hopkins, a little bit better than last week. A bit disappointing that Watson throws with 350 yards and three touchdowns, and Hopkins doesn't go for 100 yards and a touch. Only six catches, 67 yards on seven targets. Actually tied with Will Fuller with seven targets, who also only had five catches, 51 yards. The touchdowns went to Jordan Atkins. The touchdown went to Darren Fells. The tight ends. I'm not picking up either one of those tight ends. They're not somebody who you can trust on a week-in, week-out basis. At the end of the day, the offense is going to flow through the wide receivers. Kenny Stills continues to be the third wide receiver. Six targets, four catches, 89 yards. Using his vertical ability along with Will Fuller, he's getting he's getting favorable matchups. Now, he's not somebody who I want to start in redraft leagues either, but he is eating into Will Fuller's uh, ceiling and his capabilities while he's healthy and on the field. That's the upsetting part because while Will Fuller is out there, you want to play him because you know he's such a big play threat. But Kenny Stills is starting to eat into that a little bit, making Will Fuller more of a wide receiver three, a low-end wide receiver three where you're hoping he gets a bump, but that hasn't happened yet this season. DeAndre Hopkins winds up being the only wide receiver who I can trust on a week-in, week-out basis, even though Deshaun Watson, two out of the first three games, has been lights out in his production. Carlos Hyde wasn't great in this one, but he still has the dominant amount of touches to Duke Johnson Jr. Only 10 carries, 19 yards, Houston was trailing, actually, most of this game until the second half, and they took over passing the ball. But Carlos Hyde did get the rushing touchdown in this one. So he saves your fantasy day if you went ahead and played him in your flex. I do think he's a solid flex play moving forward. The most important thing, like I said, he has 10 carries to Duke Johnson's two. And Duke Johnson only had two catches for 22 yards. This is Carlos Hyde's backfield. Duke Johnson's nothing more than the back at this point. And you can go ahead and drop Duke Johnson. He's somebody I have no problem just kicking off my roster and picking up somebody who's actually worth anything. Duke Johnson doesn't have any value for me right now, no matter what the scoring format is. There's not an effort to get him the ball, especially since Carlos Hyde has looked pretty good. He didn't do great in this game, but it's clear 
it's clear who the pecking order is now through three weeks. Philip Rivers came back and had a good fantasy day. Might have another good one against Miami next week. But this one, 31-46, 318 yards, two touchdowns, bounced back after last week. He has good weapons to be able to do so. Austin Eckler was came back down the earth a little bit. He didn't find the end zone, but if you're in PPR leagues, he's still got the job done what you're looking for, and he's still at a high floor in every other type of scoring format too. Nine carries, 36 yards, seven catches, 45 yards. There's, the touches are going to be there at the end of the day. The guy who got a little bit more involved was Justin Jackson. There was a little bit more of a even more even split here. Five carries, 26 yards. They just didn't run the ball a ton at the end of the day. But he did get more involved in the passing game than we had seen him be. Four targets, not only for four catches for four yards, four being the magic number. Not saying a lot, but he was on the field a little bit more in this one. We'll see if that's a trend that continues. This is a bit of a weird game. They're going against the Miami Dolphins next week, so Justin Jackson might actually get some decent playing time as a sleeper flex position in the second half because I expect the Chargers to blow them out. But at the end of the day, Phillip Rivers only knows how to throw the ball to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. Keenan Allen, 13 catches, 183 yards, two touchdowns on 17 targets. My number two receiver on the week did not disappoint. This is a plus match against the Houston Texans, no matter what wide receiver goes up against them, and will be the same with the Dolphins. The big thing of what Keenan Allen's workload has been killing Mike Williams. Because like I said, it just seems like Phillip Rivers doesn't know how to throw the ball to anybody not named Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, on a consistent basis. He took a couple shots to Mike Williams. He did have seven targets in this game, but only three catches and 45 yards in a plus matchup. I'm starting to worry about Mike Williams ever really materializing into the wide receiver two we thought he could be. With no Tyro Williams, especially now with no Hunter Henry, you would think he'd be a really big-time red zone threat. And other than a few bombs, and he had two targets in the red zone, he's not much of a factor. He doesn't have a consistent between-the-20s volume to give him that floor. Mike Williams is quickly becoming a touchdown or bust type of wide receiver, which scares me because he was supposed to be a lot more than that this season. You drafted him to be a lot more than that this season. It's not materializing, and I don't know if it does anytime soon. If it doesn't happen now, I don't know when it's going to happen. They're going up against the Dolphins. If he doesn't put up a touchdown and at least five or six catches against the Dolphins, I don't know that he ever does this season. Not saying touchdowns. He'll score touchdowns at some point. But as far as having a consistent five or six catches, I don't know if he's going to do that at any point this season. He's got to do it against the Dolphins. Otherwise, I might be out on Mike Williams for a while and looking to maybe package him to deal him away to somebody who still has hope in the name, hope in the hype. He just doesn't look like he's primed to take that step up that we all thought he was going to take. There's no Hunter Henry out there. Melvin Gordon's not out there. Targets should be a plenty, and Keenan Allen's getting all of it. Our next game up, we got the Saints, and we have the Seahawks. This was a surprising game. The Saints were able to go on the road and take this one. Teddy Bridgewater played much better in this game. Now, for fantasy purposes, it wasn't much, and I wasn't telling you to stream him. I don't know if there's going to be a point where you ever stream Teddy Bridgewater because the ceiling's just not high enough. Only 177 yards. He did have two touchdowns passing. The biggest thing was that he got the job done where it matters. Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. That's all you really care about as a fantasy owner when it comes to the Saints anyway. Alvin Kamara was great in the air. Nine catches, 92 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. He looked absolutely unstoppable. Michael Thomas didn't have as big of a game yardage-wise. Five catches, 54 yards, but does find the end zone in this one. At the end of the day, Teddy Bridgewater knows who to get the ball to. The big thing you take out of this one is that Alvin Kamara had 16 carries for 69 yards and a touch as well, but... 
that's not so much what I'm taking out of it. Of course, that's good too, along with his, you know, crazy stat line as far as receiving goes. What I take out of that, Latavius Murray only had two carries in this game. That's it. So I do wonder if Teddy, as long as Teddy Bridgewater is a quarterback and Drew Brees isn't in there, if maybe they decide they're going to play Alvin Kamara more and just have their best player out there on a more consistent basis to help out Teddy Bridgewater as much as possible. I do wonder if Alvin Kamara may have just become a workhorse running back in front of our eyes. I wonder. He had He had 25 touches in this game to Latavius Murray's two. That's something we had not seen. Not not to that level. Not that kind of split. So if I'm a Latavius Murray owner, I'm worried. Because if he puts up another game like that at home against Dallas next week, I'm not so worried about the production-wise because Dallas is a good defense. But if he only gets a handful of touches, Latavius Murray is going to be droppable possibly in a week from now. If that's actually going to be split as long as Teddy Bridgewater is a quarterback. On the Seattle side of the ball, I think Russell Wilson got the monkey off his back in September. 400 yards, two touchdowns after a strong fantasy day last week. 51 yards rushing, two rushing touchdowns. Number one quarterback this past week. Two big weeks in a row. They are throwing the ball more than I think anybody expected them to do. Part of that is because Chris Carson's fumbling the ball. Now remember, Shaw Penny didn't play in this game because of a hamstring issue that he picked up in Friday's practice. So we're gonna- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. We're going to have to see how long he's out for. As a result, they had no one else to really go to. They weren't going to turn to CJ Procise on the ground. Carson had 15 carries, 53 yards. He did tack on one catch for negative two yards, and he had a fumble. He's had fumbling issues so far this season. It's plagued him throughout his career. If that continues to happen, when Rashad Penny comes back, there might be a significant role waiting for him. This is going to be something to watch. If Chris Carson continues to fumble, Rashad Penny might be eating into that workload more sooner than later. And it's going to be something to watch if you're a Chris Carson owner. In the meantime, though, Tyler Lockett, yeah, doing Tyler Lockett things. I knew he was going to be good. 11 catches, 154 yards, a touchdown on 14 targets. DK Metcalf actually only had two catches in this game, but at 67 yards, he continues to have a high floor each and every week with upside. And Will Disley found the end zone again. I don't, I don't get it. I don't. Will Disley's quick, I guess, but he, he's not the type of guy who would ever suspect would be able to put up the production he's been able to put up. But he's put himself in a situation where he's a tight end you need to go pick up. He's a tight end that you can play as a low-end tight end one. He's finding the end zone too often to ignore. Six catches, 62 yards, and a touch on seven targets. He's the second most targeted receiver in this one. He's gaining Russell Wilson's favor more and more, especially in the red zone. He's a guy you could pick up and play at your tight end position now with confidence. Three weeks, it's not a fluke at three weeks. 
Next game up, we got the Sunday night game, the Rams and the Browns. This was kind of disappointing for fantasy purposes, but interesting to watch and interesting moving forward. Jared Goff played, I guess, okay for him on the road. Still not great fantasy-wise because he had the two interceptions, 269 yards, two touchdowns in this one. Denzel Ward didn't play, and therefore Brandon Cooks went off. Eight catches, 112 yards. I thought this would be the week that Robert Woods would be the one to get the guy, and he was still targeted eight times. But when Denzel Ward wound up not playing and was a late addition to the injury report on Friday for a hamstring issue, it just opened it up for Brandon Cooks to be able to use his legs. But of course, the big winner on the day was Cooper Cup. 11 catches, 102 yards, two touchdowns. Both of them had 12 targets apiece. Better days are ahead for Woods. I'm not panicking if I'm a Woods owner. I know it's two disappointing games in a row. We know that these guys are all going to take their turns. The the simple fact at the end of the day is all three of them were involved. All three of them could have had big games. It just didn't work out that way. So I'm not worried about if I'm Robert Woods owner. Cooper Cup continues to be one of the safer options because he's a touchdown guy for Jared Goff. Always has been, always will be. He's I said into the season Cooper Cup was actually probably the one wide receiver of the Rams I would want to own because he has the safest floor. He's going to be involved in every single week playing from the slot position. So while Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods may take turns, Cooper Cup doesn't. It's consistent. He may not have as big a weeks as them, usually. Well, he had the biggest one this week. But all three of these guys can still finish in the top 30. So I'm not panicking on Robert Woods. The guy I am getting a little bit worried about is Todd Gurley. Now, from a carry standpoint, 14 carries, 43 yards. He's still not getting the 18 to 20 carries. He may not at any point this season. I would like to see him get a more consistency somewhere between 16 to 18, though. And I do think that'll come as the season goes. They progressively use Malcolm Brown less and less. While Tar Gurley's workload hasn't gone up and up, they've actually been not been running as many plays over the past couple of weeks. So that's partly the reason why. But the big thing is, is that there is more of a divide between him and Malcolm Brown than there was week one that continued in week three. The biggest thing of why I'm starting to get worried about Todd Gurley is that the running back position in general, Todd Gurley specifically, is not getting involved in the passing game. That's something that's new. That's something that I did not expect. One of the big reasons why I was still big on Todd Gurley being an RB1 is that, one, I didn't buy into his knee, all of a sudden hindering him from ever being able to play football at the level that he played it at. But two... I expected Todd Gurley to be involved in the passing game, and that one of the biggest things that Rams offense needs, and still needs it, by the way, because while Woods and, well, I'm sorry, while Cooks and Cup had big games pass and receiving the ball, their offense in general still did not look as sharp as we're used to seeing it. It still hasn't looked like the Rams offense through three games. Yes, they're three and zero. Yes, they've put up. 20-plus points in each or three of their games, but their offense still does not look like the offense we knew from the beginning on in the season. And the big reason why is because they still have not gotten the running back position, a.k.a. Todd Gurley, involved in the passing game to help open things up. That's when Jared Goff is at his best, when he has that safety blanket to go to in Todd Gurley, who is still explosive. You see him run. You see when he's out in space. He still has his wheels. Why he has not been involved in the passing game for three weeks, I do not know. But what I will tell you, it's starting to concern me. Because if that does not change, I don't think Todd Gurley has a chance to ever be an RB1 at any point this season. He will be nothing more than an RB2. So that's going to have to change. That hasn't been the case. They haven't gotten involved. I'm not really sure what the reasoning is. I have to think with his ability to catch the football that that's something that will will change at some point. Especially with Sean McVay. But it hasn't been the case for three weeks. And that's what has me worried. On the Cleveland Brown side of the ball, Baker Mayfield better pick it up. 
look, that offensive line has been terrible, and Freddie Kitchens once again did him no favors to play calling. The only thing Freddie Kitchens did better, better this game was getting Nick Chubb and that running game going to try to help take off some of the pressure, but he's still trying to make Baker go deep on every single pass play instead of just playing West Coast, getting the rhythm football, which they would be much better at and have the weapons to do so. But also at the same time, Baker Mayfield's holding on to the ball too long. He looks lost out there at times, and he looked lost against Wade Phillips in this in this game quite a few. Only 195 yards, a touchdown, and an interception in this one. Not great. It's not great. Odell Beckham, six catches, 56 yards on nine targets. Jarvis Landry also had nine targets, three catches, 62 yards. They continue to be guys that you can play. Jarvis Landry, you know, more of a high-end wide receiver three than anything else at this point, but Odo Beckham's still a wide receiver one. I'm not worried about him at the end of the day. Nick Chubb got going in this one. There was an emphasis to try to get Nick Chubb the ball in this one. They did exactly that. 27 total touches, well over 100 yards. The only thing he didn't do was find the end zone in this game. But Nick Chubb, if they're gonna, it was a good thing that they did. While they wound up losing this game, it was still good that they took some of the pressure off of Baker Mayfield and they stayed competitive against a good team. They just got to get that passing game in the rhythm, but using Nick Chubb to try to help take some of the pressure off and open up the play action is going to help them out in the long run. That still should be the continued game plan for them, and Nick Chubb gets back up to snuff here. Next up, we got the Monday night game, which will better be known moving forward as the Case Keenum turnover machine game. Three interceptions and three fumbles in this game. Chicago Bears defense probably won quite a few of you your leagues this past week. Uh, against going up against Case Keenum, you always know turnovers are a possibility, but this was absolutely ridiculous. Now, the Redskins never turned Dwayne Haskins, and after the game, Jay Gruden comes out and says they need continuity. Well, that continuity is only going to happen probably for another week or two as the team is 0-3, and pretty soon they're going to have nothing left to play for. So I think Dwayne Haskins coming in is something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on because I do believe that's a move that will happen sooner rather than later. And as far as fantasy value goes, if that were to happen, nothing much really changes at the end of the day. Terry McLaurin is the wide receiver that you want to own for the Washington Redskins. He scored in all three games. And just like I keep him with today's theme, if it's three weeks in a row, it's not a fluke. Terry McLaurin is here to stay. We've all known about his snap count, the fact that he's been the starter, the fact that he's been on the field the most out of any Redskins wide receiver. But his status will stay the same once they do turn the reins over to Dwayne Haskins. Now, it's not going to be this week, most likely, but it will probably be sooner rather than later. And the rapport between him and Haskins goes back into college. So I'm not worried about him there. Terry McLaurin is a guy who's a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two right now. And he's done it most most impressively in two tough matchups in a row, once with the Dallas Cowboys and now here again with the Chicago Bears. So he's offering you high floor even in tough matchups, which is what you want to see. That's why Terry McLaurin should be not only owned, but should be starting in a lot of people's leagues uh, this upcoming week and for the future for the rest of the season. He's right there as a starting wide receiver for you. Had six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown in this one on eight targets. The only other wide receiver who came up and gave them a little bit of something was Paul Richardson, who did have eight catches for 83 yards of touchdown on nine targets in today's game. But the thing about that is that Paul Richardson is nobody to ride home about. He's no one's going to be involved on a week-to-week basis. This Redskins offense can really only help 
produce one consistent wide receiver at the end of the day on any kind of consistency. And that is why Tarek McLaurin is the only wide receiver of the Washington Redskins that I have any interest in owning from here on out. And that continues to be the case. Now, the best part, like I said, is that you can go ahead and play him with confidence as your low-end wide receiver too, quite possibly, as your flex play at the very least. For Adrian Peterson... Not a great game in this one, but also wasn't a great matchup. 12 carries, 37 yards. He's got a much better matchup next week against the New York Giants. The most important thing to take out of Adrian Peterson is that he looked decent when he had the ball. He looked like he will be a north and south runner like we always expected from him. He looks like he will be able to, if he's given the right game script with enough touches, be able to be a flex type of running back three for you. That much is clear. He's going to have the ball carries. He's going to get the short yardage situations. So Adrian Peterson does have value. As an as a flex guy or as a bye week fill in with the upcoming bye weeks in certain matchups. Now against the Giants, it could be a good game script for Adrian Peterson in that matchup. But when they play against tougher run defenses, that's going to be more of a Chris Thompson game, which is what it was in this one. He actually still produced pretty well against a tough defense against Chicago Bears. That should give you confidence that where I would even think about playing Chris Thompson, especially in PPR leagues, in my flex next week against the Giants too. He had seven carries of 29 yards, actually was a little bit more involved in the run game than you would suspect, but that had mostly to do with the fact that Redskins were down, so he was just on the field quite a lot. When that happens, Thompson will get a few extra carries than you would normally expect him to see, but the big thing, of course, is his passing ability. Five targets, four catches, 79 yards, had a nice screenplay that got him about 33 yards in this game. Chris Thompson's one of those guys that just, he has a high floor, not much of a ceiling. He's not going to score very many touchdowns throughout the season, but he does have a nice high high floor for you in PPR leagues where you can kind of hold down the fort in bye weeks upcoming. And this was a nice matchup that we will see him produce as well against this defense. On Chicago's side of the ball, Trubisky played better, I guess. This is a matchup in which he should play better as the Washington Redskins. The secondary has been horrible all season long thus far. Did have three touchdowns, still only 231 yards on 31 pass attempts though. And all three of his touchdowns went to Taylor Gabriel. As an Allen Robinson owner, you have to be sitting there just wondering what you did wrong. Because Allen Robinson's by far been the most targeted wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. This team only has the capability of producing one top 24 wide receiver. That will be Allen Robinson more times than not, but when you get games like this where Taylor Gabriel suddenly gets involved, and this one gets three touchdowns, which he's never done in his career, you have to sit there and just uh, just hang your head. Robinson, who hasn't scored yet this season. Look, he's more of a high-end wide receiver three than he is a low-end wide receiver two at this point. The volume will be there moving forward. I'm not panicking on Robin, Allen Robinson. You know what he was going into it. You know he's more of a wide receiver three flex play. The hope was that maybe his consistency being the number one guy and they would have to lean on him and perhaps go to him in the red zone would give him wide receiver two upside. And that could be the case. There's still a scenario in which he could still live up to that expectation as the season goes on because that will be the case more times than not. But because he's still been three weeks, he still hasn't scored and the shaky play of Mitchell Trubisky, he definitely has to top out as a wide receiver three on a week-to-week basis for now moving forward when you're trying to line up your lineups. Something just to keep in mind. Taylor Gabriel is not somebody I'm going to rush out and pick up. I know he's probably going to be a popular waiver ad. There's a reason why he's not going to be on my waiver wire segment here in a few minutes because of that. He's still Taylor Gabriel. He's still the second, possibly third receiver at some point if Anthony Miller gets going on an offense that can only sustain one wide receiver for fantasy purposes. 
For the running back position, you had David Montgomery here, 13 carries, 67 yards. Got a lot of his touches in the second half. They started to try to wear down the clock. The big thing is that David Montgomery continues to be the workhorse back as far as getting the carries. He did get involved a little bit in the passing game as well. Three targets, three catches for 14 yards. Better days are ahead. The Redskins are a decent run defense, and the Bears were just having a lot of success in the red zone and with their defense setting them up, setting them up in short field situations. So, there's going to be more games where Dave Montgomery's going to be closer to 75 to 80 yards rushing and getting you opportunities in the red zone, definitely leading up as far as the season goes. So I'm not going to be worried about that too much. The only thing I want to see from him is are you consistently getting the bulk of the work? And he is. He had 16 touches where you got Mike Davis, who had one. You had Terry Cohen, who had four total. So at the end of the day, David Montgomery is the guy out of the Chicago Bears backfield and the workhorse for all intents and purposes as Tyreek Cohen still kind of portrays himself more as a slot receiver, sometimes comes in the backfield in obvious passing down situations. But that's about it. That caps off our recap for week three. Woo, got through it. Now we got the waiver wire segment on the other side after this break. Tired of spending hours upon hours on research for your drafts, but still want the excitement of having something on the line while watching the game? Well, join the Thrive Fantasy app where they have streamlined the process for you to make it easy and fun to play along. Use promo code MDFF when you sign up with a $10 deposit and receive an additional $10 for free. Again, that's promo code MDFF. Finally, it's time for the waiver wire. I told you, doing a recap in one show with the analysis I try to give you guys is very difficult. That's why this episode's going a little bit longer than it normally would. And we're going to try to get through this waiver wire segment a little bit quicker than we normally would as well. But we have some good names on here that we have to talk about, and the list isn't as long as it was last week. So starting off from the top, we have to talk about, of course, Wayne Gallman. Saquon Barkley, like we talked about, out four to eight weeks, possibly with a high ankle sprain. Wayne Gallman is going to be the starter. He's at least going to get the opportunity in week one to be the workhorse back. Now, will I be surprised if the Giants wind up finding somebody to add to that backfield? Remember, they traded away Paul Perkins. No, I wouldn't be surprised if they found someone to sign because I don't think Wayne Gallman, at the end of the day, can be a workhorse back for that long a period of time. But he will be a safe floor play. He will be a low in RB2 due to volume. And because he is effective as a pass catcher and will be involved in that capacity very much so. And Daniel Jones showed you that he has some skill sets, so he's able to get the ball down the field a lot better than Eli did. So Goldman may have some more favorable boxes in front of him than Saquon ever did. Plus, defenses aren't going to key to take away Goldman away. So I do like Wayne Goldman a lot. He's only 4% owned, so he is going to be by far the number one pickup this week out of everyone. And I expect him to be well over 50% owned by Wednesday. Next up is Daryl Williams. Same type of thing here. Look, we said LaShawn McCoy re-injured himself. Damian Williams, we don't know if he comes back this week. He still might miss another week with his knee injury. We're not really sure exactly what the timetable on him is, if that's the case. And Daryl Williams, in his case, he's something we're going to have to watch. You're going to have to pick him up, but he is something we're going to have to watch to know for sure if we can play this week. Both LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams need to be out. But if they are, I think we saw that Daryl Williams is set to be the workhorse back because it's clear they do not trust Darwin Thompson on a consistent basis because of his pass protection issues. 
So he's only 3% owned right now. He's widely available. So no harm, no foul picking him up. If you don't wind up playing him because McCoy comes back, fine, whatever. But at the end of the day, Daryl Williams is somebody who should be picked up in pretty much all leagues because he will be a high-end flex play, at the very least, probably an RB2 if McCoy and Damian Williams do not play this week. So he has to be a top pickup for you guys as well. My One of my top receivers pick up is DJ Chark. Like I said, three weeks, it's not a fluke. Three weeks in a row, he scored a touchdown. Now, they got a tough matchup coming up against Denver. He's going to see Chris Harris a lot. But he's by far Gardner Minshew's number one favorite target wide receiver, especially in the red zone. He's got big playability. He's a big guy. He makes for a good target. You don't have to be completely accurate to all the time. He's playing really well. He's taking that extra step up. Like I said, three weeks, it's not a fluke. He scored all three weeks. He's somebody you should pick up. And even if you don't play him this week, I believe he's somebody who you're going to be able to play in your flex as a low-end wide receiver three in matchup-based weeks. Matthew Stafford, he's still going to be one of my top streaming quarterbacks. I know I missed on him, but I'm going to stick with him against Kansas City. I believe I'm going to hit with him this week. They're going to be more in a position to have to score. There's going to be more pressure on Matthew Stafford to try to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. I believe Detroit will have to come back from behind on the road in Kansas City in this matchup. I believe Matthew Stafford will go over 300 yards and two touchdowns. He's only 36% owned. Stafford is the guy you go after if you're streaming at the quarterback position. The next guy I got to talk about, I can't believe I'm talking about, Frank Gore. He's only 44% owned, so he's still out there in more than 50% of leagues on average throughout all the platforms. He's just getting too much work to ignore. Two weeks in a row now, he's found the end zone. We know Buffalo wants to be able to run the football. T.Y. Yeldon had the fumble. We'll see if he's able to keep his same type of volume share with Frank Gore. Only in a matchup base, only when they're playing a bad run defense am I ever going to play Frank Gore in my flex. But because of his volume, he falls in a similar type of category of those of like a Peyton Barber, where you're starting running back in the NFL and against the right matchup, you might fall into the end zone. So he's somebody who should be rostered for now, especially with bye weeks coming up. Nelson Aguilar, this surprised the hell out of me. Nelson Aguilar is still, on average, only 37% owned across all platforms. I don't know why. I don't know who people thought the Eagles were going to throw the ball to with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson both out. But yeah, even if Alshon Jeffrey plays this week, he's going to be going up against Jer Alexander in the Thursday night game. Nelson Aguilar is still going to get targeted a ton. Deshaun's not going to play. So Nelson Aguilar is still a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two because of volume heading into this week's matchup. He should be owned and started in pretty much every league. Next up, I have Justin Jackson. Like I said, he had more of a, he had more of a, a workload share with Austin Eckler this week than he had in past weeks. For the third week in a row, when he's had touches, he's looked good. I'd like to see what happens moving forward. I'd like to see if that continues if they start to get Justin Jackson more touches moving forward. I think it's a real possibility, and I, like I said, I'm going to keep harping the drum on this. I don't think Austin Eckler can hold up if you're going to continue to give him 18-plus touches on a week-to-week basis until Melvin Gordon comes back. I just don't. Next up, we have Philip Dorsett. Now, this one lost some steam after we found out earlier today. It sounds like Julian Edelman's going to be okay at the end of the day, but something to keep an eye on for the waiver wire list. Maybe Julian Edelman doesn't practice. Maybe he winds up taking one week off. 
If that's the case, I think you can go ahead and pick up Philip Dorsett as a wide receiver three with upside heading into this week. He's only 32% owned across all formats, and he's somebody who could have value here and there in certain matchups throughout the year. Now that Antonio Brown's not going to be there, he's going to be one of the starting three wide receivers when they do go through receiver sets out there. So just somebody to kind of keep in mind. More of a sneaky little play there, not somebody who I'm going to go crazy after. But somebody who might be worth picking up. As far as fab budget goes, and I should have did this as I went with the players, but as far as fab budget goes, Wayne Gallman, I think you have to go at least 50%. I don't go more than that only because Wayne Gallman's not an established guy in the sense of I know he's going to do great when he's out there on the field. But the volume should be there, and Bart with Barkley possibly missing half of the season from here on out, especially the fantasy season, I think Gallman's somebody who is going to be a starter for you more weeks than not because of the volume base. So I would go 50% of my fad budget for Wayne Gallman. For Darrell Williams, I'm only going to go maybe 10 to 15% because at the end of the day, I think McCoy only misses a week. We don't know. Damian Williams could be back sooner rather than later. So I think he's somebody who you're looking to play this week in a spot start for you, but I don't know how much value he's going to have for you after this week. So maybe 10, 15% if you really need to flex the throw this week, I would lean towards trying to get him 10 or less possibly because he's going to be more of a handcuff, I believe, after this week. Nelson Aguilar, I'm going to give 15% for. He's another guy who's low on wide receiver two, flex play. And Deshaun, while Deshaun, we know he's definitely going to be out this week, there's not a guarantee he comes back in week six either. So that's something else to keep in mind. If he's going to be out for a prolonged period of time, I would think to go 15% for Nelson Aguilar because he just has a hell of a floor going up against the Green Bay Packers, whether or not Alshon Jeffrey plays. Matthew Stafford, it's a streaming quarterback. I'm not going more than a couple percentage. I probably wouldn't even let him clear. You could probably get away with it. If he's this widely available to you and he was going up against the Eagles last week and had been pretty good fantasy-wise up until that point, I still think he's going to be available to you after waivers clear. So I don't think you really have to go nuts to go after Matthew Stafford on this one. Frank Gore, I'm not going to pay much because at the end of the day, it's going to be certain matchups. It's not really a high ceiling. So he's another guy who I'm going to kind of let pass. DJ Chark, on the other hand, he's somebody who I might go 20% to 25% on. He's somebody who's going to be a wide receiver three with upside because of his red zone capabilities and because Gardner Minshew may continue to be the starter for almost the entire season. We still don't know exactly if Nick Foles is really going to come back in week 11 or not. It could be Gardner mentioned the rest of this year, and he definitely has that rapport with DJ Chark. He's going to be a guy who you can probably plug in your starting lineup, especially with the bye weeks coming up. He's somebody I would go 20 to 25% on. Everyone else, I would just let kind of clear the waivers. So that's my quick fab budget for you guys who do do that for the waivers on what I would do with these guys. I will see you guys on Thursday and Friday for the preview episode. Make sure you're checking me out on Twitter at MDSFFshow for all the player news update notifications. I will have the rankings up for you guys as I always do on Thursday afternoon on the website MDFFshow.com. Make sure you follow along with me on Facebook at MDFFshow. And make sure you check me out on any one of my three networks, Belly Up Sports, Overtime Heroics, Unwrap Sports Network. I'm going to have my sportscaster video out later tonight with the waiver wire report. Of course, we'll do the rankings for week four as well, either on Friday or on Saturday. So you have that to look forward to too. Make sure you get your fantasy football questions into me through social media. You may get a chance to be shouted out on the show, but I will make sure I answer every and all questions that come to me through any one of my three direct access points that you can get a hold of me at. I hope you guys all enjoy the show and I will see you next time. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.